0: Well, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2 as we continue, of course, our study of Paul's letter to his friend and fellow worker Timothy. Now, he writes for two reasons. One is he writes to instruct Timothy, to help Timothy grow and all of that. But the second thing is he's writing also to the church. It is at Ephesus because Timothy is at Ephesus and Paul writes this letter there. And it, it, basically, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I wrote these things so that you'll know how to conduct yourself in the household of God. So there's a lot of things here that are very powerful and very practical. Now, this morning, as we continue, we're in a section of the book that Paul gives information about how the church is to function. And we're going to see roles of men and women within the church. There's a little bit about men in, the, in the, just the first part, basically verse 8 of chapter 2. Then the, about the women. And then when you get to chapter 3, it goes back to the men. And it goes really to the elders and the deacons and those kind of things. But this part this morning is hard. It's hard for several reasons. Number one, it's hard not because of what the Bible says, because it's very clear. It's hard because of what the culture teaches. In fact, what we're going to see from the Scripture is different. Then it's contrary to the culture And that the culture teaches something Contrary to the word of God So we must go to the Bible For the basis of our lives and ministries We must allow our lives Or not allow our lives To be based on the changing culture But on the unchanging word of God So that's the key Now the second thing The second reason it's hard Is the very last verse Verse 15 is a hard verse Because it is hard to understand What does Paul mean? I'm reading New American Standard It says But women will be preserved Through the bearing of Children, If they continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint, what does it mean? Women will be preserved through bearing of children. What what does that mean? How does that fit? Well, we'll look at it as we go through it. I said that last week I mentioned there were probably 50 different interpretations of what this verse means. I'm going to give you the, the top two, basically how it fits, and we'll see what we think is probably the best one. This morning we're going to look at the role of women. We really are. What we're going to see is this, though. When the church comes together, men are the take the leadership being the shepherds, and are the ones to teach the Scripture. We'll see how all this fits together as we study through the Word of God. Well, we live in a culture that says do your own thing, that you're in control, you decide that uh, most people say that there really isn't any absolute truth, that each person must decide for themselves what is right and wrong. Even among those who are called Christians, in fact, in a study that they did of those who say they have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, over 60% of them say that there is no absolute truth, that the Bible has errors and that it's, it's a good book, but it's not the truth. Many people say that there is no right and wrong. Where do we go for rights and wrongs? Where do we go for the foundation and the basis for our lives? Well there is right and wrong there is the unchanging word of God John 17:17 17, 17, Jesus said thy word is truth we must go back to the scripture go back to the word of God as the basis for our lives God is the creator we are his creation he is the almighty God we are his children he is the authority we are subject to his authority the word of God is truth the word of God is alive the word of God is powerful the word of God is for our instruction so here's what we want to do we want may we go to the eternal All-powerful Word of God for the basis of our lives and not the changing culture. Because the culture changes all the time. And then which culture are you going to use? Which culture are you going to say, this is the basis for my life? This changing culture or this changing culture? You must go back to the Scripture. Our culture has lost its moorings. We have the Word of God to keep us Anchored, and this morning we're going to see what the Bible has to say about men and women and roles, and we'll see that. And it's going to take several weeks, but this morning is really sort of a hard passage because some of the things that it says, we find that what the Scripture says is much different than our culture. It is also different from many churches because many churches do not go back to the Scripture anymore for the basis of their authority, and so many churches will say, "Well, this is what's right," even though the Bible says something else. So we're going to see that it's a little bit different—different different from our culture, different from from churches but we must not go to the world we must go to the word of god that is the key well as we begin let me just let's talk about a brief review of where we are in first timothy you know paul is writing giving instructions to timothy he's also writing to the church at ephesus when we get to chapter two he begins to get some specifics he actually talked about praying in chapter two verse one he talked about praying for the leaders talks about for kings for leaders those that rulers and then he went to i think one of the greatest passages in the bible and that is the passage where he says there's one God and one mediator between God and men that is the man Christ Jesus that's 1 uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 And, and we spent some time there for the last couple of weeks ago seeing that Jesus Christ is our mediator and he's the only savior he died on the cross he paid for sin and rose again and whoever believes in him has eternal life that's the way it is it's so great from there he talks a little bit about men in verse 8 and then he talks about the women in verses 9 through 15 so let me show you this let's break down the passage for just a second in verses 8 through 15 we we saw 8 last time. And we actually got verses 9, 10, and a little bit on 11, but we're going to sort of get a little running start. We'll review what we said about men as far as their instructions and talking about the men in this passage. He's talking about the leaders. Then he gets, generally, he talks to women. He talks about their dress and their learning. He talks about how to dress and serve in verses 9 and 10. He talks about their learning and their learning and not teaching. We'll talk more about it in just a minute, but he talks about reasons and roles, and we'll see that as we go through. There's a lot there. Well, let's begin, and let's, let's sort of get the flow, because he's going to talk about First of all, men, and he's talking about the men in leadership. Look at verse 8. Therefore, I want the men, not just men in general, but the men. And when he says the men in every place, he's talking about the places that we gather. I want you to understand what we're talking about this morning is when believers gather together in a worship service, like we'd say Sunday morning or maybe a Sunday night or something like that. When believers gather together, he says, this is what I want you to do. Okay, And this is what the area is talking about. He's t- first he says to the men. He's talking about the men in leadership. And he says, I want the men in every place to pray. The idea there, the, the Greek says to keep on praying. Lifting up holy hands, meaning being in fellowship with God without wrath and dissension, being in fellowship with others. So he says, I want the men, the ones in leadership, to be have as a priority prayer. That is the key. And that's, that's, I think that is the key, that men should be doing that, especially in leadership. I want you to understand that every Sunday morning at about seven ten, all the staff, we all come together and we pray for about 20 or 30 minutes. We pray for you. We pray for the services. We pray for everything. And we do that. And that's what the men, the men in leadership, and we're going to see in chapter 3, that he's talking about the elders and the deacons, that they're to be doing that. That's the priority there. And he's going to get a lot more details when he gets to chapter 3. After verse 8, now he then switches to the women. And we saw that. And verse verses 9 and 10, he deals with their dress. In other words, what they wear. And obviously there were some issues there in the first century. There were some issues. There are issues all throughout our culture and, and throughout our world and throughout when we gather together. Listen to what he says. Likewise, I want, he doesn't say the women. He's not talking about a particular group of women like leadership of men. He's talking about women as a whole. He says, likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing. Modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. He says that women, the issue there is not to focus on the outward, not to focus on the physical, but to focus on the inside, the character and service. Simply put, Women's dress, women are to dress modestly and be godly women serving God. It is very easy for women to draw attention to themselves because men look at women. It's the way it is. And so what he's saying is when we gather together... Women, when you come. Now, we could say it for men and women that when you gather together, the emphasis is not on yourself. Don't try to draw attention to yourself. But in this passage, he's dealing with the women, and he says, when you gather together, don't make the emphasis your outward. Don't draw attention to yourself. He says, listen, wear modest clothing, discreetly, not with braiding hair, gold, pearls, costly garments, the bottom line is don't draw attention to yourself. Now, the church, when I say the church, I'm talking about the organized church over the years has has made a mess of all this. There's so many churches that are so legalistic that they, they have, when they read a verse like this, they will say, okay, for women, they can't wear this, they can't wear this, their dress must be this, and they come up with all these rules. I want you to understand that I mentioned it last week. I hate all that. I hate legalism. You won't find it in the Scripture. When somebody tells you that they're going to tell you what kind of clothes to wear, And how short or how long and all of that, what they're telling you is you're not mature enough to know how to dress. That's what they're telling you. I think you are mature enough to know how to dress. The Bible never gives all these rules. It just says, I want women to adorn themselves in proper clothing, modestly and discreetly. You're wise enough and mature enough to do that. And when people set these rules down, and some of you may have come out of churches that had rule after rule after rule of what you could do and where you can go and what kind of clothes and all of that, they are telling you you're not mature. They're telling you we have to tell you how to dress because you don't know how to dress. They're wrong. You know how to dress. And you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so he says, this is what I want women to do, is adorn themselves with modestly, discreetly, not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly garments. Uh, costly garments. Now, when he said all that, remember in that day and time, we said that uh, women sometimes, they all had long hair and they would put it all up and they would put gold and stuff in there. That was to show their wealth. And sometimes they would go places and people would look and go, wow, boy, they're rich. Look, look what she's got in her hair. He's saying, don't do that. Don't draw attention to yourself. I, I quoted this verse last week. And it's First Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. He writes to the women and he says, this is Peter writing, and let not your adornment be merely external. The braiding of hair and the wearing of gold or jewelry or print on dresses. Let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious. In the sight of God. The emphasis is the character and the action. So when he says of a godly woman, he says, here's what I want you to do. Men, he says, the men, the leadership men, what I want you doing is putting your priorities prayer. He says, for women in general, when you come together, first of all, I don't want you to put the emphasis on your outwardness. I don't want you to try to draw attention to yourself. But what I want you to do is be a godly woman. I want you to put the emphasis on works and character. And, And so that is the key. Now, from there, he moves to actions. He moves to to what we do. And and beginning basically from there all the way through about verse 14, 15, 16, in fact, really almost the end of chapter 3, he's going to deal with leadership, he's going to deal with headship, he's going to deal with teaching. And simply put, what we're going to find, and you're going to see it as we go through chapter 3, but I want to give you how the fits together, the man is to be the leader and the head, he has been placed there by God, both in the home and in the local church, man has been placed in the position of leadership and headship, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, all deal with those issues, It has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. It has to do with the roles that God has ordained. Now, in this passage, he's dealing when the church gathers together, like a Sunday morning, maybe a Sunday night, here's what he says. Now, when we start talking about this, if this bothers you, what the Scripture says, if it bothers you, it's because you've been influenced by the culture. Because the culture is going to say different than this. And some people go, well, I, but I, I, I know what that says, but I don't really like that. Well, I know. We may not like it. And when I talked to you last week about the fact that when we teach through the Bible, verse by verse, passage by passage, doing that, you can't skip the hard parts. This is a hard part. I'd much rather be in chapter 3. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'd much rather be in chapter 3 right now than this passage. But we've got to see what the Scripture says, and we've got to apply what the Scripture says. So here's what he says. He's now going to deal with the women. And look what he says. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Here's what he says. Women quietly receive instruction, submissiveness. The submissiveness is to the word of God. Okay. now here's what he says when we gather together, when the women come together, when we all come together on a Sunday morning, let's say let's just say Sunday morning when we gather together, the women are to receive instruction with submissives. They come to learn this. This was even different than their culture. Do you know in the culture at that time, the women couldn't even come to some of the meetings. It was only men only. And even under the Jewish culture, the men met in one place and had the teaching. And then there was a wall, and the women could sit on the other side. He says, we can all gather together as Christians, as body of believers. We can all come together and worship. He says, but when the women come, your role, your, your responsibility is to come to learn. He says, to quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, submissiveness to the Word of God. Now, I want you to understand something. On a normal Sunday morning, not only do women come together to to learn, but the men as well. How many of y'all are going to teach this morning? None of you. When we gather together, the only one doing the teaching is usually what the Bible would call the pastor teacher or the elder teacher. So when it says women are to learn, just realize this, not just the women, but everybody that gathers is to come to learn. Because there's just a few that get to do the teaching. By the grace of God, I get to be a teacher. I get to be the pastor teacher. I get to teach the scripture. We're going to see it when we get into chapter 3. And so when it says women come to learn quietly, receive instructions with entire submissiveness, the truth is, everybody, except a very few, when we gather together in a meeting like this, most everybody comes to learn and not to teach. There's just one teacher normally on a Sunday morning, and that I get to do that. That's the grace of God for me. Now, notice what he says. So a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Okay, That means submissiveness to the Word of God. Does this mean a woman can't speak? No. Does it mean a woman can't give a testimony? No, it doesn't mean any of that. We are come to learn. When the body gathers together, women are not to be the teachers, okay? It has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. It has to do with the roles. The emphasis in this section is on the service. Now, let me give you the next verse, and this is the harder one. He says, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain Quiet. Do you understand. We're talking about the context of the gathering of believers. I do not allow the woman, a woman, to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Women are not to teach or take authority over the men in the service. Women are not to teach men or to take the authority in the service this is god's ordained role it, it, it is not uh, anything to do with who's inferior or who's superior this is the way god set it up in fact you understand that man is the head in the family god has set it up that the husband is the head man is the head in the family the man is the head in the local body when we gather together this is how god set it up it has nothing to do with who's smart or not smart or inferior or superior It has nothing to do with that now paul writes this and he's very clear he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. He didn't say, at this time, I do not allow this. This is not something temporary. This is what he says. The question is, can women, t- can women teach? Of course they can teach. Titus 2, older women teach younger women. Proverbs 6, verses 20, mothers and fathers teach children. We're talking about the gathering of a service, that, that in the gathering of the service, it is the role of the pastor teacher, the elder teacher, to teach not the women okay So here's the question, and we're going to get down right to it, the one that everybody wants to know. Are women to be pastors? The answer is no, they are not. Women are not to be pastors. The word pastor in the Bible is the word presbyteros. It is poimen. It is uh, episkopos. They're all three Greek words that mean an overseer, an older man, a shepherd. They're used interchangeably of the pastor, the elder, the bishop, the, the overseer. That is always a man. Everywhere in the Scripture, it is always a man. A woman is not to fulfill that role. A woman is not to teach uh, in the gathered service in that way. I know that's contrary to the culture. I know some of you have come out of backgrounds in which you have women pastors. I'll say it as nice as I can. It's unbiblical and it's wrong. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. I do not back down on the scripture. And you shouldn't either. You should go back to the scripture, not the culture. He says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. In the worship service, the teaching aspect has to be the man, has to be the elder, it has to be the person in leadership. So it's very, very powerful. Now, this is different maybe than what you've been taught, but the scripture is very clear. Now, he gives two reasons Why? Okay, notice verses 13 and 14, two reasons, and here they are. One is the order of creation, because the headship of the man. The man was created, and the man is the head. And then the second is the fall. And the woman The woman was deceived. What, and this is what happens when the pattern of the headship is reversed. Let me show you what it says. Notice, first of all, he gives the order of creation. Let's start with the order of creation first, okay? Here's what he says. Uh, he says, for it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Now, he's just not saying the man came first. He's saying that man, when God created the man, he placed him as the head. And, and that he said that the woman was created for the man. You go to the book of Genesis. Read Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Man was created. The woman was created out from the man. She was created to be the helper for the man. In the book of Romans, the woman was created for the man. We see that God has placed the man in the headship position in the family and in the church. That's not because man's smart. Uh, man's not that smart, Okay. Uh, that's why he gave us women, right? Because that's the only way we can make it. But he put man in that position. And so he says, because of the order of creation, it is the man who is in the headship position and is supposed to be doing the teaching. Now, there's a second thing, and that's the fall. Now, notice verse 14. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, let's talk about the fall, because in the fall, the the pattern was reversed, and the woman took the leadership and of the man and that's where the problem came now let me show you something if you remember just think about this in Genesis when God created the man his name was Adamah it means dirt because he was created from the dirt the name Adam means dirt Adamah and so he created Adam put him in the garden and here's what God told him this was before he took the woman out from him the name Hebrew name for man is ish the Hebrew name for woman is Isha which means out from man before he had created the Isha he had the man and he said you can eat from all the trees but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you cannot eat from for in the day that you eat from that you will surely die that was before he even created the woman that God told the man that then the woman was created it was Adam's responsibility to tell his, his isha about the tree and you know what he told her he told her "Don't, don't eat it don't even touch it because you remember that when Satan came in the form of a serpent and tried to trick her, you may not realize this, but if you study Genesis carefully, the man is not some far away. He is standing there right beside her when all this is going on. And when the serpent says to her, can you, what, can you eat from all the trees? She says, we, can't, we can eat from all the trees, but of this tree, we can not eat from it and we cannot touch it. She says that because I'm sure he told her, don't even touch it, don't even touch it. And then the serpent said, and he he, he lies, he says, you will not die. Now what should have happened, because the woman is now taking the leadership, what should have happened is the man should have said, excuse, hold it, excuse me, who do you think you are, get out of here, we're not, t- don't touch that tree, don't even talk to us about that tree, you get out of here, we know what God says. He didn't take the headship, he didn't take the leadership, in fact he went the other way. He let her take the leadership, she took the leadership, she ate the fruit, and it says she ate and she gave to her husband, here honey, eat this. And he had to make the decision, follow God, follow her. He followed her. That's why if you read Genesis chapter 3, when the consequences and everything came, God said to the man, that's why this passage says, Adam was not deceived. He wasn't tricked. He wasn't fooled. She was. That's why God said to him, because you listened to the voice of your wife. You followed her headship instead of you being the leader. And so all Paul is saying is the reason the men are supposed to be in the the place of teaching is because they have that headship position both from the creation. And whenever the headship and the leadership gets mixed up, there's going to always be problems. Notice what it says. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. I know some people who take this passage and they want to say the reason women can't be teachers is because they're more easily deceived than men. That's not what this passage is saying at all. This passage is talking about that even though he was, he was not deceived. He wasn't tricked at all. He let her take the lead. That's the problem. Men should take the leadership. And that's what he's saying. And so bottom line, he says this, listen, when you gather together, first of all, the emphasis, the men, the leaders, has to be prayer. For the women, I want you to wear good, I want you to wear modest clothes. Don't draw attention to yourself. Do good works. Receive instructions. You're not in the place of teaching. Why? Because of the headship idea that Adam, was, you know, the, the man was created for the woman. Man's in the headship position. And whenever it gets mixed up, there or there are always problems. So simply put, in the local church, the man's place is to be in the leadership position, in the teaching position. The woman is not to take the headship of the leadership or to teach the men. That's just the way it is. That's when we're gathering. Not talking about at home, not talking about in Bible studies, not talking about any of those kind of things. We're talking about when we gather together as a body of believers in that sense. I know it's hard. Uh, read the Word, see what it says. Follow the Word and not the culture. Not the culture. Now, let me come to this last verse. This last verse is real hard, okay? It's real hard not because uh, we say, oh, I understand it. I just don't want to do it. No, it's real hard because it's hard to understand. Now, let me tell you this. I'm going to read to you, first of all, from the New American Standard. This is how it puts it. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. If you read the NIV, it says, but women will be preserved by the childbearing. And then the King James or the New King James says, and she will be preserved through the childbearing if they continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint. Listen, the passage is, is really different because the first part of the passage is singular and the last part of the passage is plural. And so who is this? Because the New American Standard just puts the word woman in there. And if you notice, women, excuse me, women, if you notice in there it's in italics if you've got a New American Standard. That means it's not really there. The word women is not there. In fact, it actually says she, but she will be preserved. So what in the world does this mean when it says, and let me just translate it to you exactly the way it is in the original language. But she will be saved through the childbearing if they... Continue in faith and love and sanctity and self-restraint. Hard passage. There are two views. 50 views. Nobody knows what it says. The people who are the 50 views, you get down to view 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, nobody knows what they're talking about. They just say stuff. They just write stuff down because nobody knows. The top two views sort of make sense a little bit. Let me give you the first view. The first view is this. It says she. It doesn't say women. But she, and so they're saying she as women as a whole, that's why the New American Standard put, a, put women in there. But she, a woman, will be preserved, will be saved through the bearing of children or through bearing children or childbearing, meaning this, that she'll be saved from the stigma of the fall because there she was and she took the headship and she wasn't supposed to and the the man led her and they messed up and they fell. And now she'll be preserved from the stigma of the fall and the fact that she can't be a teacher and those kind of things. She'll be saved because she gets to bear the children and take care of the home. So one of the main views is that women, who sometimes women would say, but if I can't be a teacher... In the service, how can I have a major influence for Jesus Christ? And the bottom line is the home. The children. Who brings up the children? Who teaches the children? Who does all of that in the home? And the bottom line is it's the woman. And so this this view says a woman will be saved, saved from the stigma of the fall and all those kind of things when she bears children. Listen, the woman's influence in the home is, is we all know what it is. Listen, you see a football game and the guy scores a touchdown and he goes over the sideline and the camera comes on him. What does he say? Hi, Mom. Listen, the daddy's the guy that threw passes, 100 million passes and everything, and he scores a touchdown and he goes, Hi, Mom. Right? Dad goes, What about me? What about me? I threw the ball. I threw the ball all the time. But the woman has great influence. It's been said that the making of a human being is far more important than the vocation of making anything else. In the formative years of a child's life, the mother is best equipped to provide that firm foundation. Charles Ryrie says this. I love how he puts it. Listen to this. A woman's greatest achievement is found in her divinely ordained role to help her husband raise up the children and live a holy life. Now, the point is this, and here's what some people say this verse is saying. It's saying that a woman gets saved from the stigma of the fall and not being a teacher and not getting to be a pastor in that sense through bringing up the family and the children and having that great influence in that way. That's one view. There's a second view. And the second view is that the she shall be saved is referring to Eve because if you remember the passage... Look at verse 13, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in transgression. But she, Eve, will be saved, preserved through, and it says literally, the child bearing. What child? The second view is that the woman, even though there's the fall, and that she was a part of the fall, that she's going to be delivered because she's going to bear the Messiah. The childbearing is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And that she's going to be saved in a sense that she brings the Messiah into the world. Jesus is called the seed of woman. And it is true. Now, all of us are saved because she bore the child, Jesus Christ, into the world. So that's the second view. Now, in the second view, you notice it's singular in the first part. She will be reserved through the childbearing. And then it goes, if they... And so the only the best view there is the first part of the verse is talking about Eve, and the second part of the verse goes back to talking to women as a whole because that's what the flow of the passage is. A woman is to do this, a woman is to do this, and he gives those reasons about Adam and Eve, and now he comes back and says what women are supposed to do is to continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-control or self-restraint. What they're supposed to do is this. They're supposed to be faithful, they're supposed to love God and others, they're supposed to be holy, and they're supposed to be self-controlled. So it's a powerful, powerful passage. That's the two views. There's a whole bunch of other views that don't even make sense. And so I just wanted you to see the two main views. If you ask me, if you said J.B., you have to choose a view. I would probably take this, because the first part of the verse is singular. I think it's referring to Eve, and it's saying that she's, she's going to be saved in the sense that she brings the Messiah into the world, which saves all of us. And I think the last half of the verse, since it's plural, is going back to women as a whole. It goes back to the flow of the passage and says you're to be godly women, and so you're to have faith, love, sanctity, and self-control. That's how I see the passage. But it may be a little bit different, and what you could do is you study it. See what you find. See how it fits together. Bottom line on all of this, though. Go to the next slide. Instructions for women. Dress modestly, not attention to yourself. In the service, receive, inst- receive instructions, not teachers. And the character is to be godly women. That's what he says there. Now, to put the whole thing together, you got the roles. The man is to be the head. The emphasis for the leadership is to be praying, to be holy men, to be in fellowship, to be teaching. For the women, or uh, for a woman, it's to be subject, in a sense, under the word of God. The emphasis is on character. It's not on physical. It's not on outward. But be godly and receive instructions. That's how it fits together. Both men and women find their greatest fulfillment as they follow the godly ordained roles now there's a lot there i know that it is it is it is different than what many of you may have been taught it is different than our culture their town there are many churches in this town that have women pastors if you said to me do you think that's right i say no, i do not think that's right i do not think that's what the bible teaches I'm sorry i I'd I'd say it to their face if they ask me i have to i have to stand by the scripture didn't that what you want me to do when I came to this church years ago, the church started, and I came about a year after it got started. And at the very beginning, the bottom line of this church was the Bible would be taught verse by verse, passage by passage. We would hold to it historically, literally, grammatically. We would take the Bible for what it says, and we would base our lives on it. I have to do that. And that's what it says. Now you may not agree with it, but it's not my opinion. In fact, my opinion, would I skip the whole thing and go on to chapter 3 if it just been me, right? But this is what it says, so we have to go with it. Let's, let's, uh, let's make some applications, okay? First application, let's fulfill our God-ordained God roles. Think about it, men. Let's be faithful in our roles. Let's take responsibility for leadership in the home and in the church. We know that. That's true. We're going to see more of the fact of the church. In fact, he's going to talk about an elder, an overseer, a pastor. He's going to talk about that in chapter 3. He's going to talk about two offices, elders and deacons. And we'll see how that fits together uh, really beginning next week and, and some other things. But that's the bottom line. Men, fulfill the roles. And what's happened historically? As men do not take leadership, that's one of the problems. We call them passive men. It's like Adam standing there letting her do all the talking. He should have stepped forward and said, Stand back, honey, who do you think you are trying to mess us up? That's what he should have done. The man's role is the provider, protector of his family. Men, step forward and be the leaders. Be the provider, protectors, lead our families. Lead them spiritually, lead them financially, lead them in every aspect. That's what the problem is now. Most men don't even know what they're supposed to do because our culture's got everything so warped a guy don't even know how to be a guy. So men, you step forward. Take what the Scripture says and do it. Second, women, be faithful. Faithful to emphasize character and dress. and inst- Emphasize that, you know. Say, okay, I know how I'm going to dress. I'm, 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 I see getting the instructions. I want to be a woman of character. That's the key. And then, you know, the emphasis in this thing is faithfulness, love, holiness, and self-control. That's what he says for them to do. Continue in that. Continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint, which is self-control. Now, I want to finish by saying this. Don't get hung up on the message of the culture. It always changes. Listen, I've watched it change. I've lived long enough to watch the culture change two or three times. Some of you, ten years from now, what's the culture now is going to be different. If you base your life on that, you're going to be changing everything. You've got to go back to something that is true, and that is the Word of God, not the culture. Be faithful to go to the Bible. Live your life based on the Word of God. God knows what is best. He is the Creator and the Redeemer. May men take leadership in the local church, and may women be godly women, continuing to have an impact on the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these truths. Lord, thank you that this passage is over. Thank you for the great truths that are there. Lord, we just ask you that the men that we would take, we would we would be faithful in our roles. We would take the leadership in the home and in the church and we'd be godly men and, and lead our families and lead our churches. Lord, we pray for the women that they'd be faithful to emphasize their character, not the outside but the inside, and that they would learn the word and, and they would be faithful to teach the word and, and they would emphasize faithfulness and love and holiness and self-control and all of those things. Thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for this body of believers. Would you use us for your glory? Would you use us to make an impact for you? Thank you, Lord, for a church that stands by the Bible and wants the Bible taught clearly. Thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for each one that is here taking your word. May we make application. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.